right, church, grab your Bibles and let's go to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. We'll begin in verse number 7 and go through verse number 16 today. If you're turning your Bibles, let me just kind of remind you that this now is going to be the third time that we come to the subject of love in this letter from John. John first mentions it in chapter 2 from verses 7 through 11 where he, love is given as an indicator of someone who is walking in the light. Then he picks up the theme again in chapter 3. There he mentions it as being evidence that one is a child of God. In our text this morning, we're going to get to the foundation of the matter. Today we're going to discover why love is so important in the life of the believer. If we are united with God through faith in Jesus Christ, then we share in His nature. And since His nature is love, then love is the test of the reality of our spiritual condition. Think of it like this. A navigator depends upon a compass to help determine their course of direction. And so why do they use a compass? Well, because the compass shows the direction that they're traveling. If you ever used a compass, then you know that the indicator on the compass always points north. So why does it always point north? Because it responds to the magnetic field that is of the nature of our earth. And so the compass is responsive to the nature of the earth. Likewise, those that have been born of God, we are to be responsive to the nature of God. And the nature of God is love. And any person who knows God, has been born of God, will respond to God's nature. And so a compass naturally points north. Therefore, a believer should naturally practice and produce love. Because love is the nature of God. When we produce that love, this love is not something that should be forced or mechanical. It should be a natural response because of the change that has occurred in our hearts and in our lives. We Three times in our section this morning, John encourages us to love one another. Tells it in verse number 7, again in verse number 11. And then for the third time in verse number 12, he supports the admonition to love one another by giving us three foundational facts about God. Those three foundational facts about God are what I'd like to share with you today. So foundational fact number one talks about what God is. And God is love. Look at verse number seven and eight. It says, Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does, not, uh, who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Very simply and succinctly, John declares that God is love. This does not mean that love is God. Example, the fact that two people can love one another does not mean that their love for each other is necessarily holy, spiritual, or, or pure. 
It has accurately been said that love does not define God. Rather, God defines love. And so God is love. His love is holy. His love is pure. And it's His holiness that is expressed in His love. All that God does expresses all that God is. So to understand that even the judgment of God is measured out in love and mercy. In the Old Testament, in the book of Lamentations, it says in chapter 3, The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease, for His compassion never fails. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. That ought to produce a, a strong and hearty amen in our lives. So what God is determines what we ought to be. In 1 John chapter 4, look at verse number 17. It says, because as he is, so also are we in this world. The fact that Christians love one another is evidence of the fact that they know God and it's evidence of the fact that they have fellowship with God. Their experience with God is not a, a once and for, for all moment in time. Rather, their experience with God is, is one of getting to know Him more and more on a day in and a day out basis. Which is to say that true theology, and theology can be defined as the study of God, true theology is not some dry, impractical course in doctrine. No, true theology is an exciting day-by-day -day experience in which we get to know more and more about God. And based upon that knowledge of God, we begin to implement what we know about Him and how we live our lives in this world. And so foundational fact one is what God is, and God is love. Foundational fact number two is what God did. And what did God do? God sent His Son beginning up in verse number 9. By this, the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And so, because God is love, he must communicate that love, not just in words, but also in action. True love is never static. True love is never inactive. True love reveals itself in what we do or how we demonstrate that feeling of affection. God reveals to us his great love to us all throughout Scripture. You can go from the very beginning of Scripture in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2. We see how God has, has geared or He has created all of creation to the meeting of our needs and everything was right. But then chapter 3 happens and chapter 3 in man's rebellion brings sin into this world. And, under, and until sin was brought into the, the scene or until sin was committed through the disobedient act of Eve and of Adam, 
well, under sin, now creation has been brought under bondage. And Adam and Eve had a perfect home in which to love and to serve God, but sin disrupted that perfect fellowship. But God has demonstrated His great love in His creation. And then if you fast forward uh, several generations later, we can see how God's love was revealed in the way that He dealt with the nation of Israel. In fact, in Deuteronomy chapter 7, it says in, in verse number 7 and 8, it said that the Lord did not send His love on us, or did not set His love on us, nor choose us, because you were more in number than any of the peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But because the Lord loved you and kept an oath which He swore to your forefathers, the Lord brought you out by a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery from the hand of the Pharaoh king of Egypt. I have to say the greatest expression of the love of our father is seen in the death of his son. Romans chapter 5, verse number 8 says that God demonstrated his own love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That word demonstrate is an interesting word. Or demonstrate means to, to come out into the open, uh, to be made public. It's the opposite of to hide or to conceal. In fact, uh, the, the verb that's used here typically refers to the revelation of something that had previously been hidden. Now, God's love for mankind has been seen from the beginning. And although it was revealed in part all throughout the Old Testament, it is fully revealed in and through the life of His only begotten Son. And in our text in 1 John 4, we, we see in this very text in verse 9 and verse 10, we, we see two reasons for the death of Jesus on the cross. Reason number one in verse number 9 is that we might live through Him. Verse 9 says, By this the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through Him. That's one of the reasons. And then the second one is seen in the very next verse. So that He, Jesus, so that Jesus might be the propitiation for our sin. That, that Jesus might satisfy the judgment and wrath of God that is to be poured out upon sin. Verse 10 says, in this is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and He sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Which means the death of our Lord was not an accident. It was a divine appointment. Jesus did not die a weak martyr. No, He died a, a mighty conqueror. Jesus died so that we might live through Him. But not only that, Jesus dies so that we can live through Him, that we can live for Him, and that we can live with Him. And so if you're writing these down, first of all, Jesus dies so that we can live through Him. In case you don't have your Bibles open, I'll show you it on the screen. It says in verse 9, By this the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world, so that we might live through Him. 
That's our purpose. Those that believe is to live our lives through the power, through the strength of our Lord. As if that wasn't enough, God says there's even more. We live through Him and we live for Him. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says, And He died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for Him. For Him who died and rose again on their behalf. So as children of God, we're not supposed to be living for ourselves, our own pleasures, our own purposes, our own desires. We're to live a life of complete dependence and for the glory of God, we live for our Lord. We live through Him. We live for Him. And as if that's not enough, we'll ultimately live with Him. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. It says, for God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together with him. Amen. He died so that we might live through him, for him, and with him. May you know that salvation comes not by loving Jesus, Salvation comes by knowing Him. Scripture tells us, John 3.16, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. It's that believing, it's that knowing, it's taking the knowledge of our Lord and making a commitment based upon that knowledge to live a life of full submission and surrender unto Him. Here, here's the thing. After we fully realize what He did and what He accomplished on the cross, the only response or the natural response or the only appropriate response that should be in our lives is that we would love Him, that we would serve Him, and that we would love each other and that we would serve one another. We should remember our Lord's death in, yes, in, in a spiritual way, not just some sentimental way. Someone has, I think, rightly defined sentiment as being feelings without responsibility. Sentiment, feelings without responsibility. So, so we should remember our Lord's death in a spiritual, life-changing way, not just in a sentimental way. Uh, type of feeling. It's easy for us to experience deep or solemn emotions through a church service, but then ultimately to, to leave that experience without making any type of changes or commitments in our lives. True spiritual encounter with our Lord involves all of a person which is to say it includes the mind, the heart, and the will. The mind must understand the spiritual truth that's being presented. The, the heart must love and appreciate that truth. And the will must be willing to act upon the truth. And I think a lot of times we get stuck in church or in services in, in, in either the mind or the heart. We, we might understand the spiritual truth, 
We might even make it so far as to, not just to understand it, but even to love or to appreciate what's being said. But, but those two things aren't enough because then there's more that is necessary. It is in knowing the truth, loving and appreciating the truth, and then rightly applying that truth in and through our lives. So here John's telling us what God is. God is love. He, he tells us what God did, and he sent his son, which is all setting up for the third foundational fact of what God is doing. And what God is doing is that God abides in us. 1 John chapter 4, verses 12 through 16 says, no one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. We have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love. And the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. So God has said something to us, that he is love. He has done something for us in sending us his son. But all of that is in preparation for, for the third fact, that God does something in us. God abides in us. Which means that we are not merely students reading a book, nor are we spectators watching a deeply moving or emotional experience. No, rather, we are participants in the great drama of the love of God. How beautiful is that reality? God is not simply satisfied to tell us that he loves us, nor is God fully satisfied to just show us that he loves us. No, God desires to abide in us so that we might love one another. And that word abide is an important word that we should consider. In that little section of, of Scripture from 12 to, to verse number 16, that word abide is used six times. It refers to our personal relationship with Jesus Christ. To abide in Christ means that we remain in spiritual oneness with our Lord, which means that when we're abiding in Him, that we don't let sin come between us and our Savior. Because we are born of God, we have union with Christ, but it's only as we trust and obey Him rightly that we have true communion with Christ. So He desires union and communion from us. God reveals Himself through His Word. God reveals Himself through His Son. And God reveals Himself through the lives of other believers. Men cannot see God, but they can see us. And if we abide in Christ, then we will love one another. And our love for one another will reveal God's love to the world. 
So God's love will be experienced in us, and God's love ought to be rightly expressed through us. It must be experienced and expressed. Jesus did not simply preach the love of God. He proved the love of God by giving his life upon the cross. Not only that, Jesus expects for his followers to demonstrate that type of love in our relationships with one another. And so, since John calls us to love as we have been loved, perhaps it would be wise for us to pause and to consider just how it is that God has loved us. So I want you to think for a moment. God loved first. He did not wait for us to make the first move. Ours, therefore, must be an initiating love for one another. God loved us who hated Him, which means that we cannot excuse ourselves from loving people just because they're difficult. If the sinless God can love sinful people, then how much more should sinful individuals be loving other sinful individuals? So God loved first. He loved those who hated Him. God loved those who were different than He was. No human has ever been more different from us than we are from God. And so our love must not be limited to those that look like us, act like us, think like us, or dress like us. We must be willing to love those that are different from us. The love of the Father accomplished what was best for us, even when it wasn't necessarily best for Him at the time. What I mean, I think about our Lord in the Garden of Gethsemane, right before He, 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 he was betrayed. And in prayer and in anger, she cries out to the Father, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. In other words, Father, if there's any other way, then, then let's make it, make it happen. But, but not my will, your will be done. That, that's the type of love that, that God has for us. His love continued even when it wasn't convenient. His love perseveres even when we wrong Him or we offend Him. He loves at extreme cost. His love is, is expressed through action. Not just a passing of words or sentimental feelings. He loved by taking action. I mean, could you imagine what would happen in our world? Could you imagine what would happen in our nation, in our state, in our own community if, if God's children would love one another truly and rightfully in the same manner in which God has loved us? That's what we're called to do. This is how we're called to live. For many people, the only image of God that they'll ever see is what they see in you. That should be a humbling reality. It should be a challenging and, and a convicting thought. If we abide in Christ, then we share in His nature. The nature of our Father is love. And so if we abide in Christ, we will abide in His love. And if we abide in His love, we must share that love with other people. 
And when we, whenever we share this love, it is actually evidence of the fact that we are abiding in Him. In other words, there's no separation between our inner belief or our inner self or our outer self. There's no separation between the two. Here we find ourselves coming back to the same theme where belief and behavior are directly connected to one another. You cannot say or proclaim to, to believe one thing and then live in complete opposition to what it is that we profess. So as God's children, right, for, for those that have put your faith and trust in Jesus, then, then you have received the Spirit of God. You now have the nature of God within you, and the nature of God is love. Therefore, God's Word clearly says that we're to love one another, even the difficult people, even the sinful ones, even the ones that hurt or betray us, even the ones that mock us, even the ones that ignore us. His word still says, love, love one another. Perhaps it would be best if I could just give you one practical application that grows out of this text. And that would be our verbal witness, a verbal witness to those that are lost, right? Our verbal witness to those that are lost is rendered useless unless we're committed to love the lost. What I'm trying to say is the gospel message is a message of love that is both demonstrated and declared by our Lord. Therefore, the gospel message must be demonstrated and declared by His people. And so too much, I think too much witnessing today is a mere mouthing of words without being willing to sacrificially place the needs of others before yourself. And in other words, words are good, words are important, words are necessary, but there must be action behind those words to demonstrate the love of God. So it's not about just saying it or telling others. It's about loving them as well, meeting their needs, sacrificing on their behalf. And just think about it. For many people in our world, in our community, the only picture of God that they're ever going to see is the one that's lived out in you and me. Yeah. Can't you imagine that you are the living depiction of the nature and character of God? They can't see God, but they can see you. And as they look upon you and they watch you, because I promise you, they do. When a lost world looks upon you and watches you, what is it about the nature and the character of God are they seeing? Maybe I ask it this way. How many of you would just have to confess that in your life right now, you're probably presenting some jacked up version Are they getting a clear picture of his love? Do they see that words aren't enough in and through you? 
that's why like this whole social media stuff is just uh, boring to me most of the time because it's so easy to make a post or to tweet a statement and that's 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 empty it's a mere mouthing of words what, what what our world needs is not just people who are going to post on social media whatever their thoughts or feelings are what this world needs is for the body of Christ to embrace the call of God that we are to live and to act and to respond by the very nature of God. Therefore, this church needs to be setting a clear picture in this community that we love one another. We love one another to help meet their needs. Absolutely. We love one another to be truthful about their sinful condition, you better believe it. We love one another to let them know that the only way that they can have peace in life is by having a relationship with Jesus Christ. There's no other peace that can be found. It's cheap, it's invitation, anything else other than Jesus is not the real deal. So, so we love one another enough to, to go there. We love one another enough to say, hey, this sinful activity in your life is, is against the word and the will of God. That's love. That's not being critical. That's not being harsh. That's being loving. Now, there's a manner in which that it can be carried out that is inappropriate, and we don't carry it out in an inappropriate way, but we have to be willing to love one another enough to speak the truth to each other. And we're surrounded with people that are lost. Think about it. They're lost. They're lost. They have no hope of heaven because they don't have an abiding relationship with Christ. And those that have been found, we have been given the charge to take the message of hope to the lost. It's not an option. It's not something that we can choose to do if it's convenient for us to do. It's a command from our Father. Do you love the way that God loves you? And if you're not loving others in the manner that God has loved you, then what change needs to happen in your life today so that you can begin to love in the way that the Father loved? Remember, it's not just the mind hearing about a truth. It's not just the mind and the heart hearing the truth and loving and accepting the truth. It includes the will. What decision are you willing to make today based upon the truth of God's word so that you can rightly apply it in how you live? Now, I can't give you that answer. I wish I could. It's something I have to wrestle through in my own life. Is there something in me that's hindering the true love of God from being clearly seen in my life? And if I'm willing to, to be honest about that question and to be quiet and still long enough for God to point that out to me, then I have to be willing to take action upon that, to confess my sins, to repent from my sin, and to seek to do a better way. Are you willing to do the same? Or will we continue to present this jacked up version of God to a world that just is totally frustrated and turned off by the Christian community? You know, they should be compelled by what they see in us. My hope and my prayer is that as we dig into the subject of love, and we've got so much more to unpack 
uh, on this issue next week, right? But as we dig into this a little bit more, that we would be so challenged and so encouraged to live a life that's completely different from the world in which we live. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you so much for your great love for us. And I pray that we would truly begin to reflect upon that love. God, help us to know how to love one another rightly. There is sin in our lives that hinders your love from being on full display. We would be foolish not to acknowledge or to admit that truth. Father, I pray that today you will help each and every one of us discover what it is that's in our life that's hindering your nature and your character from being fully displayed in and through us. God, help this church to, to love you more and more than they ever dreamed possible. Help this church to love one another and to love those that are outside the church. God, I pray that you would give us the encouragement that we need today, that you'd give us the conviction that's necessary. God, may we trust and depend on you in all things. In Christ's name I pray.